Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of The Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Count here with my co-hosts, Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. First, please don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. And now let's dive into it, as we say, with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains, one block at a time. In our first segment today, we're going to be talking about latest from the guy who leads it all, right, Marco, uh, the patron saint. Um, why don't you tell us about this story, Margo, that you just broke or that you just wrote yeah. about? So Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of Ethereum, held a Ask Me Anything on Reddit yesterday with the Ethereum Foundation. And during it, he answered a question about uh, increasing the gas limit on Ethereum and was voiced his support of it. That sort of made its way around the ecosystem that this could be a change that we could probably be seeing. For those that like don't entirely know right now, so when users transact on Ethereum, they pay a gas fee. It's sort of like a uh, a tax for transacting. And there are mechanisms in place that where they cap the, the gas fee at, I think it's 30 million. It's 30 million, like gas. Yeah, 30 million. Yeah, gas units. Okay. Yeah. So they cap the gas at 30 million. With this proposal, he's suggesting to increase it to 40. And so the suggestion would basically allow for more transaction throughput. So there seems to be a lot of support around this in the ecosystem. But I don't know, Sam, maybe we co wrote this. So maybe you have something to, to add to that. Yeah, so um, maybe to step back a little bit, like the Ethereum gas limit is, it applies to blocks that are added to the network. So each like 12-ish seconds, a new block is added to the Ethereum network. And a block is just like a bucket of transactions. And like Margot explained, each transaction has a gas price or a, a gas cost that, you know, a user has paid as a, a sort of fee for their transaction to get executed on the network. And that gas, a lot of it just corresponds to the computational load 
that is carried by that transaction. So like if you're, you know, swapping between two tokens on Uniswap, that's, you know, a pretty cheap thing to do computationally. It's a simple thing to get done. But if you're doing something more complex, I think in the article I wrote about, like if you're opening up a really complicated borrow or lend position, that is more computationally complex for the network. If you think of the network like a big computer, it just, you know, spins more, um, you know, spins more gears. And so that ends up costing more gas or part of the gas that, that users pay with that corresponds with this computational complexity. So yeah, if each block is able to hold 40 million, 33% more than the 30 million gas units that it's allowed to hold today, that just means that in aggregate, there's more computational complexity that can be piled into each of these blocks, which is essentially a way to just guarantee more throughput for the network. But there's some like complicating factors um, that we can get into around whether this is going to make things cheaper or, you know, add certain kinds of costs for for the validators that run the network. We were talking about this, you know, when we were when you were writing your story. What is the point of the gas limit? Why does the gas limit exist to begin with? And who would lose if they raised it? Yeah, I mean, like the, the main reason why we have a gas limit today is because if you think of that analogy that I mentioned, where Ethereum is like this big decentralized computer, if every 12 seconds, you're trying to do a gazillion different things, which is essentially, you know, passing off the execution of the a gazillion different tasks to the decentralized network of validators that run the network, those validators like quickly get overburdened. That's the main thing It's just like, if we're trying to do a million things at once, we're very quickly going to tire out the validators that run the network to the point where that computer just can't handle the amount of complexity that's going on on its servers. So that's the main reason why we have this. But over time, at a certain point, the Ethereum gas limit not so long ago, I think before the merge was like closer to like 10 million gas units. Now it's 30 million because the merge, the proof of stake thing made it so that we could make things bigger. Now, 40 million, it, it all has to do with like the clients and the, the software that the validators that run the network run becoming more efficient, as well as other changes to the network's core code. The fact that certain kinds of transactions are being offloaded to layer two networks that scale Ethereum that make it so that we can expand each block in terms of the complexity it can handle. I wonder as well if, you know, this is sort of happening in tandem with the fact that there's more activity happening on the network. Prices are up, means more activities up. And so there's sort of maybe an anticipation happening, like as Vitalik had said, that this has been the longest in protocol history that they haven't increased that mm -hmm. limit. And so maybe there's, you know, there's been signs, I guess, like we, we wrote about this, Martin Kopelman had said back in December, like he had started to advocate for that over Twitter. So the timing of all this, I think, is also important to realize that as, you know, crypto, there's more of a boom now happening around crypto and on Ethereum that there's this need for this kind of increase. Yeah. Like you said, Martin Kopelman, that guy who, you know, started Gnosis Chain, I think we've talked about him on the podcast before. He's was one of the people that's, you know, sort of started ringing the bell on this last month. And that corresponded with a kind of all-time high for Arbitrum, the biggest layer two network on Ethereum that people, you know, that helps scale uh, Ethereum, like a separate blockchain that runs alongside it, settles transactions on Ethereum as a way to scale the network. Arbitrum was seeing kind of record usage and its token was going way up. And so people were talking about it. And so part of this gas limit increase is going to be to cater better to these layer two networks that ultimately settle their transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. It's going to make it easier for them to just, you know, pass down big buckets of transactions to this base, base, base chain. Mm -hmm. We're talking trade-offs here, right? So they have to just kind of balance it as they see the growth. 
But yeah, I mean, what, just before we move on, one of the things that confused the heck out of me was when I first started learning about that, that gas, the unit of gas is gas. Like <laughs> when somebody was, I like, right? A gas, there's a, a unit of gas associated with something that's being done. And so people talk about five gas, right? And what is the gas fee? Well, it's the rate times the amount of gas and it's like is it a gallon is it like a liter or is it no it's just gas <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's confusing because there's like there's gas and then there's like the fee that you pay like the the guay which is like a fraction right. of an ether it, it's right. complicated but yeah those units correspond like if you look at the ethereum opcodes it's actually kind of interesting you can see like a, a token transfer for instance, costs like tens of thousands, I think like 20-ish Ether fees. So it's more of like a computation term than it is like a price figure. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's super interesting. Okay. Well, we're just going to go to our next topic, which is, you know, maybe some people have been waiting for this. When we were going to mention the Bitcoin ETF debut, which is one of those stories that really just kind of broke through. We're here covering all this stuff and the rest of the world, their crypto story today is the bit, you know, of this whole week is the Bitcoin ETF story. And we've had some coverage this week. There, somebody paid $2.97 to have uh, SEC chairman on the brink of second Bitcoin ETF approval, you know, a callback to the famous chancellor on the brink uh, comment that was embedded by Satoshi to the Genesis block. Just a couple things that I was thinking about today. There's so much capital that is coming in to crypto now. I saw something that was standard chartered. They're talking about a hundred billion dollars of you know investment coming into Bitcoin through these Bitcoin ETFs. I mean, you know, I used to talk to Noel Atchison, our former head of research, and it's if you kind of think about crypto like a closed system. You know, and money comes in. The question is, what are they buying within that system? So Bitcoin, is that because somehow that money will sort of slosh around and find its way to funding more Bitcoin developers? I think that's a super interesting question, you know, or is that like, you know, flow out to all the other tokens and networks and then it funds their developers? I mean, I think big picture is probably good development for crypto developers. I don't know. Either of y'all have any thoughts on that? Well, one thing from the story that you mentioned about the um, Bitcoin user that encrypted that message on the on the blockchain, I thought that was like kind of quirky and just so crypto that like this and that sort of reminded me of when Polygon launched at CKEVM, Vitalik Buterin encrypted like a message that was also kind of quirky and stupid. I'll pull it up. It was like a reference to to Neil Armstrong's like landing on the moon. And I, I happened to also get an email from someone saying like one small snap for Bitcoin, one giant leap for CeFi. So, oh, here, this is what Vitalik Buterin said. A few million constraints for man, unconstrained scalability for mankind. So I don't know. I just thought it was like a cute little story that like people are finding ways to sort of mark moments in technology. And it was just like another quirk in, in this crazy world that we cover. Yeah, I mean, like, just at a fundamental level, um, even though there's obvious ironies to a bunch of crypto people who, you know, some of whom flocked here after the 2008 financial collapse, uh, getting excited about 
BlackRock introducing a, a Bitcoin ETF. Obviously, that's an ironic thing. But one of the, the advantages, practically speaking, of something like this is it does effectively lock, in, in a sense, more people into Bitcoin as a currency. And later on, if we see Etherspot ETFs added um, and other ecosystems, a, a, a similar effect will happen where a bunch of people will have Ether, Bitcoin, and their tax-advantaged accounts and their retirement accounts even, you know, in the future, which has an influence. Again, we don't talk about markets um, that much on this pod, but has an influence in some sense steadying the price of these assets. You'll at least see, I, I think, more stability and stamina as far as developers are concerned in terms of people's willingness to drop everything and dedicate substantial chunks of their days lives to building upon this technology. So even if the development doesn't say anything about the core tech itself, I think it does give some people the security and safety to develop on top of it. Mm -hmm. I agree. One other concept is people who are buying this Bitcoin ETF, do they really have any clue what they're actually buying? You know, I mean, in other words, no. they're buying an <laughs> asset that went up 164% last year, goes up during, you know, the <laughs> the second year of of the Bitcoin halving cycle. But is it money? Is it commodity? Is it a, a stake in a decentralized network? You know, and I was just thinking about, I go to the Bitcoin devs meet up here in Austin. It's like a bunch of really smart developers, like, you know, sitting in a room and discussing code changes. And like, it's, you know, they're talking about this proposal on GitHub and they debate it, they talk about it. And I wrote this week about this proposal by um, the longtime Bitcoin developer, Luke Dash Jr., who is like super opposed to these data things, you know, like this one we wrote about that was embedded. But you know, all the ordinals inscriptions, like that is like, you know, blowing up Bitcoin traffic wise and driving up fees. And there's this discussion on GitHub. It's an open source, you know, software platform where people are like debating. And then there's a Bitcoin core maintainer, a, a woman, Ava, Ava Chow, who came in and cut off the debate. And, you know, how does that even work? These retail investors are like, buy Bitcoin. Like, is that what they're thinking about? I mean, I think on one hand, so there's the retail investors, but there's also another class that's that's involved in this ETF story, which is wealth advisors, like people who are managing money on other people's behalf. And those folks who have to get licenses and so on are now incentivized to learn about the technology. And one imagines that some of that knowledge will probably trickle down to their clients and to their clients' children and so on and so forth. So maybe this will kind of spread knowledge of this stuff, but also like in terms of understanding, like if we're being honest, people don't really understand necessarily the stocks that they always buy. Yeah. Um, like I knowing that usually just buy like the, totally. the, you know, market tracking indexes just because I just understand that I have no idea what's really going on in NVIDIA or whatever. So a similar thing's going to happen with Bitcoin where it's not going to be that different from buying any other stock where you don't understand what's going on, but now it's going to be way easier so much easier. Like people already have their brokerages, like they've got their account of Schwab, they can now just buy Bitcoin. So some of that knowledge, like the practical knowledge that you need is going to disappear. Again, not a good or a bad thing in terms of the technology itself, and whether this is good or bad, or, you know, should continue, but like, people don't need to know things now. Um, you don't even need to know what Coinbase is 
to, to get crypto in the United States, to get Bitcoin, at least. Just one other topic. There's an Ethereum ETF, you know, that is pending. But at the same time, you know, we were talking on the news meeting today, there's still all these tokens for all of these projects that we're writing about, you know, who are employing all these developers and like literally working on building the infrastructure of finance. They have these tokens that have been declared illegal trading securities by the SEC, like in cases, you know, that are open court cases. And so it's like, okay, Gary Gensler lost this round. <laughs> it was a big round, but like, there's still all this stuff that's unresolved. On yeah, I mean, regulatory capture is way easier when most people are buying their. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be most, but most people are buying their their crypto, be it Bitcoin or Ethereum, and maybe none of these other tokens through brokerages. Like, in a way, this is a good thing for the regulators yeah. that everybody shakes their fists at in crypto because now they have much more oversight in the United States, at least, over the funnel. Yeah that people use to to access this stuff which is not to yeah. say they don't have you know some hand on kraken coinbase and those other folks that people have used thus far but anyway interesting to watch all right well yeah no it's it's we've never seen anything like this all right let's take a break when we come back we're going to be talking about fox news and polygon's new anti-deepfake tool that sam actually tried out we'll be right back Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash, the value of it, I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, et cetera, is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if Cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it, but by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to, to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And yeah. it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening. Okay, we are back. And this is a super interesting, I mean, Margo, this whole thing just sort of unfolded. Was it yesterday? <laughs> I lost track of time. <laughs> but no, two days ago, I think, but maybe Tuesday. Uh, this story came out and it just, you know, I mean, as we've discussed, like, you know, the Fox PR people had teed up all the mainstream press. So we we were the last to find out about this story. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Margo, tell us real quick, what is the story about blockchain tool and what's it for? Sure. So Fox has sort of teamed up with Polygon. Well, Fox has come out with a tool that uh, uses blockchain to sort of combat and look for AI, deepfakes, and media stories. It's supposed to help in their fight against sort of disinformation, but also tracking where media stories and where certain images are coming from. And I think there was like a lot of buzz around it because one, it's Fox News. It's, you know, a media empire. But two, there's two big buzzwords here, blockchain and AI being used together. And three, of course, Polygon somehow involved in it because Polygon's always involved in some kind of mainstream deal, it seems like these days. This, you know, made a lot of headlines just because of the, the combination of things. But the tool itself is called Verify. It's an open source protocol. That's what they sort of had launched on Tuesday. It's still in beta. So there's still a lot of, I guess, like blips in the system. I would say Sam is maybe our resident Verify expert at this point and our, our uh, in-house uh, AI tool like user because, I don't know, <laughs> you, you always seem to be using ChatGPT for some reason. But So I'll let you sort of maybe walk through the, the piece that you, you wrote about and why there's still a lot of work to be done, I guess, on this. Yeah. Yeah. I love playing around with this stuff. So I was quick to... It was cool. They, they released a, a version of the Verify tool that you were allowed to play around with. So at Brad's urging, I, I played around with it. Um, and <laughs> you already were. I, I encourage you to write the story. <laughs> so it, it, it is interesting. So there's kind of two sides to this, Margo, like you talked about. One side works better than the other. One side of it is, you know, detecting whether content is from the putative source that it purports to be from for, for users. So you can upload it into this tool and see, hey, this Fox News article that I found on Twitter, is it actually from Fox News? Which means uploading it to the tool and checking if it's been registered to the verified database. So that's one side of this. That's the detecting deepfake side. And we'll talk about whether it works. And then the other side of it, which I think could theoretically work really well, is, you know, the context for this is, you know, the New York Times is suing Microsoft and OpenAI in this sort of landmark lawsuit, which claims that these AI companies have trained their models using the New York Times's articles. And, you know, sensibly, the New York Times is a stand-in for basically everybody, people who, whose publishers whose articles have been used to train models without permission. So that lawsuit kind of gets at what this tool is trying to address, which is, okay, fine, if AI companies want to use our content as publishers, Fox will release this database that anybody can, you know, now add their, their articles to. And then AI companies will have to go through this blockchain-based software, this database, essentially, that Fox has created to access content and to use it in accordance with whatever licenses are attached to it in this database, which might sometimes, you know, gate the articles behind a paywall or what have you. I think that idea is smart. I've given it a high level of it there. It gets back to what we, you know, in our writing, you mentioned WorldCom in your piece, you know, and yeah, in, WorldCoin. In terms of like we get confused. <laughs> The, world the world coin. coin. World <laughs> coin. 
I hope I didn't make that mistake. Every- but if I did, lawyers out there, I just corrected. I retracted. All <laughs> right. So WorldCoin, they have this idea of proof of humanity, right? Like, it's is it an AI or is it, you know, a human? And, you know, is was this story a real story or was this story written by AI or, you know? But... We also now here we're also talking about, you know, deep fakes. Like we're, you know, people create these deep fakes. And so I mean, here we are coming up in the twenty twenty four election year. It is gonna be one of the ug I'm just guessing. Here we are, you know, but it's gonna be one of the ugliest, if not the ugliest election in the history of this country. You know, I mean, it is going to be a mess. And, you know, we have these technologies that Deep fakes are so good now, some of them, you know. And so, I mean, that's like one of the big ideas, right, Sam, is to try to be like, yeah, okay, we've we're trying to do something to like, but does help. it work? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, um, yeah, that yeah, we yeah. try to solve. And the answer is no. <laughs> like, it doesn't really. I mean, so basically, just to give you can read the article, but like the way that this tool works is you just have to you can upload either an image or a URL to this website in order to see if it comes if it's registered into the verify database right now it's just fox but other people can add to this database later on what that means is uh, unless you're using the exact correct like url from fox or you're using in our testing um you're using the exactly correct image so you can't just screen something screenshot something from twitter you need to download the original image at the correct proportions not modified in any way not with captions on it or what have you then you can see if the source is not if it's ai generated because it might be ai generated and from fox you will get to see if the source is from Fox. By the point you've uploaded it into this tool, like you've probably gotten it from Fox.com. You need Foxnews.com. You need the, 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 the exact URL. You need the exact yeah. image. So I don't know if it's super useful, but it's a proof of concept. The concern is not you. Like you can look it up, but the concern is like everybody else who's too lazy to ever check it, right? I mean, anyway, sorry. I Me, just I'm not going to use yeah. it. Like I, I'm <laughs> right. not going to be checking. Yeah. Right, but most people don't check stuff. I, you sort of got at it. Like, it, it sounds like it's not, you know, unless there's more in that database, it's not really useful. It's not like it's very specific in terms of the requirements. And like you were saying, like, people want to believe what they want to believe, right? Like, anything is sort of, if it's sort of out there and like, who has the time to like go back into Fox database or the blockchain, I guess, to see if it's true or not, right? Like, I mean, I guess if you're, you know, writing a paper and don't want to be plagiarized but that gets into a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the news but anyway we'll drop that but i think the like the idea is there but like practically speaking people are human and people don't have time right to to go and check this they sort of want it to be there putting the deep fake checking stuff aside if that's really the goal for this that might be like the pr end of it and looking at like the the database and the licensing and you know all of that i i think you know, this is a blockchain tech podcast, like one of our jobs, probably our biggest job is to to look at things and say, hey, did you really need the blockchain there? Anything from a tool like this to like a decentralized finance protocol, like do you really need a blockchain to do this? Or are we essentially doing the same thing that a normal brokerage does or, or you know, what have you? Yeah. And in this case, surprisingly to me, you know, given the source and so much else, I do think that the blockchain tie-in actually dare I say, makes sense. So like, (laughs) if you're uploading immediate, like, so if you're Fox News, and you put your article onto this blockchain service, 
the, the benefit of using Verify is that you can see the provenance of the article in perpetuity throughout history. Like you can see if you're an AI, you know, scraper using this, this database and you want to see if something's been modified or when something was added or, you know, so on and so forth, you have the paper trail immutably added to this blockchain. And then perhaps more importantly, if Fox wants other people to jump on board, Verify or fork it into their own thing, they can, because of the blockchain nature of this service, not trust Fox itself as kind of like the arbiter of what's allowed on here, what's true and so on and so forth. And Fox might, I mean, we get into this in the piece, they got their own issues as that person. But if I'm Disney, I might use this service because it's on the blockchain. It's not on a Fox server. So yeah. I don't have to trust Fox with anything. So that part is interesting. I think also the, the one thing I will note is that Fox is a mainstream news company, right? Here they are sort of looking outside of their realm into this like emerging technology to sort of support what they're supposed to do. So I think this is like another second, you know, we were just talking about like institutional players using blockchain, using crypto. This is, I guess, another version of old school media source that is looking to news, use new technology. And, you know, maybe this, I mean, here we are saying there are a lot of limits to this tool, but maybe there is a way to bring Fox readers to read the blockchain, right? If we're trying to be a little bit optimistic, maybe they're able to, they're a way to make sure, you know, check news and check where it's coming from that it's original. I think we should probably wrap it up here. But I mean, looking at what you did, Sam, and I, I actually played it around with it too after you did it, but, you know, you put the thing in, it sends back a hash, right? And, and it's like, oh my God, there's a hash. You know, it must, it's like real. You know, <laughs> and the question is if it's a, you know, it's like a fig leaf, maybe, you know, I mean, it's like such an early version, you know, to your point, Margo, it's, you know, it was reminding me of, you know, some of the proof of reserves and some of them are like early versions and, you know, they're like, hey, look, there's a Merkle tree and there's a hash and, and you're like, see, the money's there. And, and as Sam wrote about, you know, sometimes it's, uh, <laughs> there's more, you know, it's more nuanced than that. What you're seeing is not as real as maybe you'd see when you see like, you know, all these like hexadecimal letters and numbers. But I mean, Margo, with the Polygon team specifically, I mean, you're so close to the Polygon, you know, your coverage. What was their perspective on this? You have a sense of kind of like, did they drive this? Like, is this a big deal for them? Is this like a, an initiative that could expand for them or what? Or is it just like marketing or I don't know what do you think? I mean, I don't think the Polygon team would say that this is marketing. I think they're pretty stoked that they're having, a, <laughs> a, a, you know, a mainstream media source use another one of their platforms. And and like we were sort of alluding to earlier, they they live for mainstream partnerships, right? They had Starbucks, they had Meta, they had Nike, I guess, at some point. So this is another big win for them. What I will say, though, is that this was first developed in-house at Fox in their tech team, and then they went to Polygon. So. I mean, I don't know any specifics in terms of the deal that's or the partnership that they've arranged, but it sounds like from the coverage, from the news release, that this is it's it's powered by Polygon. I don't know if I I can't confirm that this is something that Polygon has initiated, but that would be interesting to find out. So maybe you know, stay tuned. <laughs> Wait until you need an NFT to access the the service. Maybe that's next. Um, Trump cards. Yeah, Trump cards. Oxel right. join Trump and start smelling some NFTs. Right, yeah. right, right. You have to be in the club, dude. It's premium. You you only get authentications with the premium NFT membership. Yeah. 
Yeah. But okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for our incredible producer, Michelle Musso, who's back there keeping us on track every week. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or any about any stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line, the protocol. Also, you can listen to us on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe to the weekly newsletter, The Protocol. That's where you would have seen Sam's uh, feature yesterday if you had been a subscriber. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, Anyway, thanks a lot for joining us. We'll see you next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.